Hi everyone, and welcome to Happy Paws, presented by FearFreeHappyHomes.com. Happy Paws is a podcast by pet lovers for pet lovers. We take a scientific and evidence-backed approach to helping you understand your pet on a deeper level. On this episode, we're sitting down with Dr. Marty Becker, founder of Fear Free and America's Veterinarian, to discuss the creation of Fear Free, why it's such a fundamental change for pet owners and pets, and how we can be more aware of our pets' emotional needs. All right, I'm here with my dad, Dr. Marty Becker. I'm Mikkel Becker. And dad, this is the first ever Happy Paws podcast. And I'm so honored to have you as my first guest. We haven't done 23 and me, but let's we'll pretend. <laughs> no, I'm your father. And actually, the, father and actually one dad. other but this is this is Mikkel's brother. This is my son. This is Cutie Pie. He's also with us here. It is exciting to do a first podcast. It is. I, I've always thought about doing a podcast and to like actually be here doing it, having our dogs all around. It's really exciting. I was just at WSU on 420 and they had something the Daily Evergreen, which you wrote for them. Remember when you were at WSU? Mm-hmm, I do. And they were talking about bucket lists for people that are high <laughs> and some of them was be the feature of a podcast, which I thought was pretty cool. That was on more than one of them. So here I am a a feature of your podcast, so I That's feel proud. That's perfect. I well, it's come full yeah. circle then. Yeah. Uh, so I want to start off by, first of all, telling you that you have always been my hero, like since I remember as like a little kid, you know, it's like, not not just saying that, like mm-hmm. I've always thought of you as, dad goes, I know, no big deal. No, I've always thought about that with you, dad. So, so dad, tell me, what is Fear Free? So for someone who's never heard of Fear Free, I think that would be a great way to get people kind of into the groove of what we're doing here. And yeah. For dogs up on a slippery surface, uh, people, uh, you know, holding them around the neck and putting their leg out really, really vigorous thing, or a cat, you'd stretch them out. I would say they stretch them out into two zip codes. Why, why do you think that that happened in the first place? You think it just, it was like kind of the, the rush to get things done, or how do you think it... Well, I'll tell you exactly what it was. Okay. It got trained generation after generation after generation. That's what was taught. You restrain an animal, to protect people. So the worst thing, people joke about this, if you were a nurse or somebody working in a veterinary hospital, don't let the doctor get bitten. So there was days of, uh, I probably wasn't a week go by, you didn't use a rabies pole. And for those people who don't know what a rabies pole is, it's a cable at the end of a long metal pole and it's a noose and you put it around their neck and then you pull it tight. And so, you know, they can't shoot through the cable. You've, you can hold them out as a distance. And when I went to the ASPCA in probably circa 1995, uh, there were there were rabies poles everywhere. So they handled all the street dogs that came in and stuff like that. That was the first thing you would do is is they'd use a rabies pole and drag them through there. And now when I went back, you know, 15, 20 years later, everything was about gentle control. So fear awesome. free is about. Positional compliance. Like I was just down at Washington State University's College of Veterinary Medicine where I, you know, I graduated in 1980 and I look at all these pets that have fear, anxiety, and stress. So dogs were panting, they were yawning, they were salivating, they were lick-lipping, they had a furrowed brow, they had their ears pinned back, they had, they had their heads turned away, they had that thousand yard stare, they were fidgety. Um, you know, I could go on and on in cats, saw cats again, 
they were fight, flight, freeze, or fidget. There were some were just frozen on the table, not moving. Others were looking around trying to get away and everybody kept trying to move them back. Uh, one leaped up, clear up on top of a counter up there that they had to fetch it down. So before Fear Free, I thought that was just collateral damage. That's just, you know, they don't know. Uh, they're taken against their will. They have no idea why an injection or a nail trim or feeling their sentinel lymph nodes or prying their mouth open. Why does that benefit me? The animals have no idea the, the time frame. So they don't know, hey, this is only five minutes and then I'm done, then I can leave here. And we mentioned this earlier, can't flee the threat. What if I start feeling panicky or stuff? I can't just go, hey, cut, I'm out of here. So since they don't have control, they have fear, anxiety, and stress. And so, used to think that's collateral damage and you know thinking how much damage does it do let's just get it done it was karen overall in that talk in 2009 that explained we're causing repeat severe psychological damage to pets by what we were doing or not doing that fear is caused by something painful or something disturbing and you trim a pet's nails too short that's painful now they see the nail trimmers that's disturbing we use a syringe to get a blood draw Injection of serenity, which is used to you know calm their stomach or vomiting or diarrhea, it's antibiotics. Th uh, those are painful. Now they see the syringe that's disturbing, and uh, so now I thought, gosh, none of us get in this to make life worse for animals. So once you understand that we have an obligation to look at both physical and emotional well-being, that's when you embrace fear-free. You know, it's, it's interesting when you're talking about that, because I remember the first time you talked to me about Fear Free was after you heard Dr. Overall talk and you were supercharged about it. And before that, I had graduated from San Francisco SPCA Dog Training Academy at Gene Donaldson. And I was doing training classes there at the veterinary hospital in Sandpoint. And so when I was first involved in that, like I knew a lot about dog body language, dog behavior, dog training. And I was seeing these pets in there for nail trims, for different things like ear infections. And, you know, the standard protocol was you, you lay a, a dog down on their side, you hold them down, you, you know, trim their nails. And I remember talking to pet parents because I was starting to do more positive training where these dogs were learning a different way. This one dog, Piper, who had had to be held down by three or four people, um, blindfolded, like panicked in just literally one session of training he was already like willingly offering me his paws didn't know a shake behavior either yes. before and i had nail clippers in my hand he's offering me his paws in the same room actually that we had been in before and now i know that we would do a different room and everything different exam room but I, that was the start of fear free so i remember the opposite of fear free which was that standard way like as you said it was passed down generation to yes. generation yeah. so you trim nails with the dog on their side versus now you're getting pets to offer you their paws. They are voluntarily using a scratch pad to wear down their own nails. So it's almost like a big nail file that they learn to scratch their own paws on, uh, which we've taught Cutie Pie, for instance, to do yeah. that. Well, well I've, no I've noticed you, you always had, maybe it was that training that you had from Gene Donaldson. I also think you had something innate in you because you you took a wire-haired fox terrier, which, Wirehead Fox Terrier became too big to go in the hole to get the rat or the rabbit, so then they became a Jack Russell Terrier. So just imagine Wirehead Fox Terrier is usually not uh, an obedience champion, <laughs> but you made Scooter an obedience champion, and then you had a horse that was a, a horse used in a feedlot to cut cattle out and made him a 4 H champion, and then you had a, another horse that was in uh, Western Pleasure 
that was at the bottom end of what a horse cost to compete. I mean, like if you're in NASCAR, you can't have a, you know, a Yugo, so you had the day or Volkswagen bug and compete in NASCAR, but it was towards the bottom end of what it caught, what it took to compete and you made it a champion. And Fear Free is not, is not, um, Fear Free is not me, Fear Free is we. Like I had, I had, I'd been involved before with helping to popularize the human-animal bond and I thought, I can help popularize this. And if people heard what I heard today from Karen overall, there's no way they would practice the same way. It was that simple. So after you heard Dr. Overall talk, where did it go from there? Well, like most things, you gotta have proof of concept. So how do you actually, why do you benefit from reducing fear, anxiety, and stress, and how do you do it? So her talk moved me to the core. And it's funny how Fear Free got its name that very same day went out to dinner and she said, fear is the worst thing a social species can experience and it causes permanent damage to the brain. So I thought, well, what if you had no fear? Fear free. It had a sing song. It's aspirational kind of like fear free. They won't have any fear. And that's how the name was spawned. But then let's go back to the people that really know how to do this. Board of veterinary behaviors, like what Karen Overall was. So um, if we fast forward, you know, to today, there's a hundred board of veterinary behaviorists by the American College of Veterinary Behavior, 65 are part of Fear Free. So it was really working through board of behaviorists and then in just everyday practices like any town USA working, how do you actually do this? How do you orchestrate these protocols? And it's kind of broken up into pieces. You know, you've got to figure out how do you get a pet from the, the living room to the exam room in calm state? This is this is a good example, by the way, Mikkel. I think this is good. So we're having a rainstorm here, and Cutie Pie has generalized noise phobia. So thunderstorms, fireworks, uh, snow sliding off the roof, rain, gunshots during the hunting season, and I just returned from Ukraine. Uh, actually, the the Romania and Moldova that are the borders, and seeing animals there that had experienced artillery and bombing. So talk about noise phobias, uh, you know, but. Before Fear Free, honestly, I would have never thought about treating them. It's like, well, yeah, then the, then the thunderstorm's over and they're okay. That's not okay. That'd be just like us having a panic attack or our child or grandchild uh, that was terrified to go into the pediatrician or the pediatric dentist or something freaked them out in preschool or something and we're just going, no, that's okay, they'll get over it, but it's not. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit, so what is, like, how, how does someone find out about Fear Free for a pet professional, for a pet guardian? Like, how do they yeah. get involved in, like, what avenues is Fear Free involved in? Yeah, it doesn't matter if you're, you care for pets professionally. So you're a veterinarian, a trainer, a groomer, you do pet sitting, you do daycare, you're organizing dog events. There's proven protocols on how you remove or reduce the triggers and you keep fear, anxiety, and stress at a low level. Again, if, if, you're, if you're a dog that's a hunting dog and you're out hunting, you love the anxiety that the, the ducks are coming in and is somebody gonna hit one and you get to retrieve it. It's like that you stress, which is good stress. Yeah, or right? like dock dogs mm -hmm. or dogs in those agility competitions. They are wired up, they love it. And, but it's when they take it, they do it by free will as you do it against free will. But pet parents, and it's really lucky, Mikkel, you and, and uh, your brother Lex are millennials, and you guys think of your pets as your children. And most of them have human names, and you don't want them just to be healthy, you want them to be happy as well. So my generation, 
you know, I'm a, I'm a baby boomer and it was all about the dog's got an injury, the cat's sick, they, we want to prevent problems so we use parasite control and vaccinations. She never thought about the emotional well-being. Before Fear Free, um, we'd pack cats around, we'd scruff them by the neck and you'd haul them around the practice and it'd sound like a stalling Cessna. They'd go, <laughs> nobody thought a single word of it. Now I'd be horrified to see that. So talk, talk about the change even in the way that cats are labeled at the veterinary office or at the groomer. Oh, good point. And I got to give a shout out to Tony Buffington. Tony Buffington's called Buff Cat. And he was, uh, he like myself, went to veterinary school to be a dairy practitioner. It's funny how things can change. And, and Tony, uh, one of the things, he used to do a lot of research on cats with, with uh, uh, upper, upper um, um, urinary tract disease. And at first they thought it was levels of magnesium in the diet. Then they thought it was acidity levels in the diet. And come to find out it's all about stress. And one of the things they found out when they were had these banks of cages for cats in the research, if they had a cat in the upper cages, they would have less fur anxiety and stress and less bladder problems. It was so much about location, like cats like to be up high and cats who were lower had more fear, anxiety and stress and more, more bladder problems. He was one of the people to to look at cats who were labeled as bad actors. So these cats that come into practice, remember they're, 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 we used to joke they were effed, but it's in fight, flight, freeze, or fidget. So the ones that would fight were labeled bad actors. And so there'd be something warning, aggressive cat. So there's red on the chart and you go to the cage and there's a label that says caution, you know, uh, aggressive cat. Yep, fractious cat. Fractious cat. And so there's that. What that says is there's a fight to be fought to protect us from that cat. And Tony's fight. It's just fear-based aggression. They think they're fighting for their life. When you're fighting for your life, you're fighting pretty hard. So he changed it as part of Fear Free to caution fearful cat. That means there's a battle to be fought to protect the cat. And so many times, and Mikhail, you've seen this working in the hospitals with us, there's so many times where the cat uh, that formerly had bitten or scratched everybody, the, the type that it comes in, you see they're coming in in two days uh, for their annual physical exam, and you know your grandma's going to die that day because you ain't coming in, right? You want somebody else to see it or it's your turn to get the welding gloves <laughs> out or the Costco blanket and throw it on it and fight it out, you know, to come in there or squeeze it in the corner. But... I've had many of those cats now come up and, and uh, rub against you with their cheek and start mm -hmm. purring. Isn't that neat? Yeah. And just, just giving them the ability. So, so talk about, so a cat for instance, they, they're taken into the vet. So what does the veterinarian do as part of Fear Free and what does the pet owner experience as part of Fear Free? Yeah, so the first thing is it involves everyone's going to touch that cat. So the, the, the pet mom or dad, if you get a cat, you're a cat and you get a cat carrier out, the night before the morning of the visit, it's probably not going to be a very good visit. They recognize that as not something pleasant. That's a that's a transport to hell for them. Because so, most of them are stuffed in there. Stuffed in there. So you get the carrier out if you can. If it's you know scheduled care, at least a week before, and you have the door open and you have pheromones in there because you're going to start this pheromones from carrier to car to clinic. Do you, do you mind talking about the, the pheromones? What are, what are pheromones? Just, just yeah, so pheromones are when a, there's two different kinds of feline pheromones. Uh, with their cheek, they're marking you with this pheromone that's basically like you're, it's approved, like the good housekeeping seal of approval from a cat. 
And then there's uh, the, the peasing pheromone. So when the, the queen, which is the female cat that's uh, pregnant, has her kittens, there's, if you think of mammary glands going on either side and where these buttons are in the middle, like a mint man's shirt, that's where these sebaceous glands secrete this pheromone. And that pheromone keeps them calm. So cats, cats are weird. Cats are both prey and predator. Dogs are predators. Uh, but when you're in a prey and predator in your weird ecological niche, but when the when she's on her on her side nursing kittens, she's very vulnerable. So Mother Nature figured out a way to keep them calm. These uh, this carrier you give really tasty treats in it, and then the day of the visit, you withhold food unless it's contraindicated, like a diabetic cat, really really rare to be contraindicated. You preheat or precool the car. So you go from 72 in the house to 72 in the vehicle to 72 in the clinic. You play a certain kind of calming music, which your veterinarian recommend, or it's on Fear Free Happy Homes, uh, Spotify, Pandora, all these have lists of calming music, or you can actually, uh, through Amazon, buy CDs of calming music. Uh, you don't baby talk the cat on the way in. You make sure the carrier, by the way, is level so it's not tipped to the side or tipped forward or backward. You cover it with a light towel or sheet on three sides to reduce visual stimuli. You know, your cats aren't used to seeing stuff go by 75 miles an hour. Like our cat at home, Tally, she's never been in the car. She's never seen stuff go by fast. So you wouldn't want her to see things. When you got to the clinic, and this is pre-COVID, we would have the pets and their people wait in the car. They would only come in when it was their turn to be seen. Like, why, why would you not want to have a dog or a cat in the waiting room? Well, that's that's the worst place for fear, anxiety, and stress. There's other dogs. There's cat. Just think if you had a cat that had never seen other cat. I'm not sure Tally, since uh, Lex took two litter mates, has ever seen it. Well, she hasn't seen another cat, and she's only seen our dogs. She hasn't seen many other people, and so it's just a recipe for disaster. Plus, they hear smell and sense other pets in distress. Mm -hmm. So there's a cat in the back that's getting uh, a wound and they hear him screaming, Yow! you hear something. Well, to them, it's like, uh-oh. Uh, or they're smelling fear, fear pheromones in there. Uh, or they hear, they, hear, they hear sounds, they hear smells, they're level. The first part is you gotta get them to the clinic calm. And you can't be carrying the, have a carrier with a cat stuffed in it, swinging it like the pirate ride at Six Flags in a big arc bouncing off your legs, bouncing through the two doors. It has to be carried like it's a fragile Christmas present. Then you go into the room and very few animals do we put up on the table anymore. And I'll tell you, we did that before we even started talking to Temple Grandin, but Temple Grandin is such an icon in animal behavior. When I was just at Washington State University, I saw a whole uh, uh, and a cattle handling area all designed by Temple. It's so neat to see her since we, we know her. We love her. But the um, you know, these pet, these pets are, um, they're the single biggest fear of animals is the fear of falling. And Temple says they're born with the fear of falling. And so here are the other fear of falling. And what do we do? We put a dog up on a table that's elevated and slippery. Uh, it just, it's just so obvious when you think about it. We used to do it because they were up at eye level and they were slippery. So they were scared and would pull, pull down. And plus, it was easy to clean the surface. But now, uh, you know, I'm it's almost 68 years old, and I do almost all the exams on the floor. Or it's in the owner's lap, or it's in my lap with a dog facing them or the cat facing them, or it's in the, the, the cat carrier, the dog carrier, with the top taken off and them still in there, putting a towel over them. 
It's just so different. So that exam room experience, we're talking in really hushed voices, avoiding prolonged eye contact, making sure we don't clank things down, using a lot of food rewards called putting the treat into treatment. And we're all, we're covered with pheromones. There's dis, uh, dispensers like a Glade plug-in in the room with, with pheromones. And then if they go in the back in treatment, there's all these other protocols. If they're hospitalized, other protocols. And a lot of dogs, you know, you know, I've been very open about mental health issues mm-hmm. and, that, yeah, and getting therapy for the first time, ferret out all of these things that have happened that may cause you to have different destructive behaviors or thoughts. Well, you can't do that with a dog or a cat mm-hmm. or a horse or a dairy cow or any of them. So what happened to them? What happened to them before you got them? What happened to them in the in the back of a practice one time when they were scared and somebody drug them out that had a white coat on? What happened in that exam room when somebody moved their jaw or their foot and it caused extreme pain that they associated with the person in the place? So a lot of times with uh, companion animals and production animals, you actually have to, they know they have fear, anxiety, and stress. It, they're so strong it triggers Pheromones and compression garments like Thunder shirts, nutraceuticals won't work. So you have to use something stronger, a pharmaceutical. And so there's a couple hours of training in the level one fear free just to train people on how do you. Well, it's like it's like you give a cat or a dog that's stressed out. Hey, they got two or three glasses of wine, maybe a Valium on top of. Yeah, you're you just know? hanging out yeah. in the bar, having a good time with your friends, yeah. getting some good food. Or you're here in Washington and, our, and your brother's in Oregon, so they would go to their, just think if pets could go to their bud tender and say, hey, I'm getting ready to go to the vet. What do you got? You, <laughs> give me your best stuff. Give me your best stuff to laugh. go to the vet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I want no stress at the vet. I just want something that I feel really mellow, but uh, not too hungry afterwards, you know? <laughs> <laughs> okay, you can make me hungry. That's fine. As long as I get good food. You cannot not see the signs of fear, anxiety, and stress now. Harry at Washington State University, I'm looking through all of their brochures and the communication department does a great job. Almost every pet in that has uh, at least level three or up levels of fear, anxiety, and stress. They just don't see it. So they're taking these shots and the dog's ears are pinned back. They're all panting. Uh, so and ex- explain, explain the numbers just really fast. Just brief overview. So there's, as a veterinarian, what you want to do, let's say, let's say I'm on the morning shift and a colleague's coming in the afternoon, or I'm in on Thursday and then I'm off the long weekend and somebody else has to see it, or I'm a, I'm a veterinarian and I refer a case to another veterinarian, or people move. When the medical records, we measure body condition scoring. So from weight, you know, ASPCA, 69 cents a day, saves this pet thin, to obese, morbidly obese. We have a pain scale, so you're looking at pain so you can see from you know, minor pain to debilitating pain and there's five levels of fear anxiety and stress so it's based on body language and other observations and there's certain in the past if you had a dog with a lot of fear anxiety and stress it was no problem you just took it in the back because people wouldn't see it and people would come from every direction and pile on them you know like a pile of text restraint so before, if we had a dog that was in extreme stress, they're jumping, they're biting, they're uh, 
crying out. I mean, we all saw it. We just thought that was collateral damage. There's nothing you could do. We would continue. Not anymore. I still practice the veterinarian after 40 years of practice. And we, we do want to, if a pet's in extreme distress and we can't get it to calm down, we say, listen, let's retreat. Let's stop and come back another day a different way. That's one of my things I say. Uh, a veterinary colleague, Julie Rex says, and I borrowed that from her. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna sacrifice your pet's long-term emotional well-being for the convenience of getting this done today. No, we're not gonna have six people hold your dog down to trim its nails. No, we're not going to. If your pet is struggling, and we need to do a blood test, we're gonna postpone it until another day. But you can also give it something orally, like generic Xanax, Alprazolam, and wait 30 minutes to an hour, and most of them are calm. A very inexpensive, very safe, or uh, and hungry, and which hungry. is always kind of good them, for fear free. You can give them an intermuscular injection of a pharmaceutical, and it works very fast. Yep, and, and give them the food distraction while while they yes, they get that. So yeah, you're distracting them. Yeah. You are trying to take attention away from any yeah. potential negative. And yeah, I think that's a big part of fear free, and and something that I know that there are a lot of fears behind like pharmaceutical use or or things like that, and I. I think so for me, I, I liken it to my experience when I was younger. You remember me when I would fly. Right. I had, an, and you were talking about therapy. I've been going through counseling myself for dealing with the, we had my, my grandma and my uncle both pass away um, from COVID in the last year, which was a really rough, rough time. Very hard loss because we were so close to them. And But what's been really amazing in therapy for me is like going through not only that, like processing grief, but also processing like any traumatic memory, um, which for me, one of them was flying. And I don't remember, you know, I've been to almost 70 countries now, and I don't remember where that fear came from, but I remember it very, very vividly, yeah. very strongly. Yeah. First time I was so freaked out from flying, and I would have these horrible panic attacks in the airplane, and I would freak out months beforehand, before yeah. we would go. Yeah, I and I almost didn't even want to go on the trips. No one wanted to sit next to me. I would just be freaking out and it's, you know, fear is contagious. It's that, that social contagion. Mm -hmm. And when you're in that state, you no reason will get in. Like you can't reason with them. And when you're that elevated of a state, I remember the one time when we were flying over to Amsterdam and, and, you know, just a, a general sleeping pill didn't knock me out. Um, I remember that. And then I had a couple and then I just like, and even that, like I, it didn't do any, cause yeah. I, my stress levels were so high. And so what we're doing with pets in that state is you are just bringing them down to a level where they are calm enough to have good emotions. So for yeah. me back then it was having some pharmaceutical help and, and being able to build those positive memories when I was traveling that helped to counter those really yeah. strong fear memories. I don't know where they came from, but it's really cool for, you know, like now it's like I can fly, you know, there are still like those little triggers that might take me back, but it's like yeah. through those positive experiences, through prayer, through just being able to have different coping strategies, you know, I can have a different perspective and I can have these these happy feelings with that where I don't have that same concern. And that's really what we want for pets. We don't want their their grooming, their veterinary care, their home care, any aspect of their life, their training. We want to reduce fear, anxiety, and stress because that, that really does decrease a pet's quality of life. It negatively impacts their health. There are so many detriments to having this distress in a pet's life and a human's life that we really want that emotional well-being, which yeah. leads to physical well-being. You know, there's two things that come into mind there. One, 
Christy Keith, who's a communications director who I've had a, for Fear Free, that I've had a two decade plus relationship with, she was supportive of Fear Free, but really didn't get it until she took her own, I think it was a, a, a deer hound into a Fear Free veterinarian. And when they got done, it was a puppy. And when they got done, they couldn't get the puppy to leave the exam room. Christy, That's such a good time. Christy Keith had to physically carry the dog out. So instead of the typical thing where, you know, as soon as they get their puppy shots and everything, they always know the door they're going to leave from. And most people listen to this podcast know that their pet knows which door the vet or the vet tech comes in and which door they leave from. So Christy had to pack her dog out to get it to, out of the exam room. And she got out, she started crying, and she called me and was like, oh my God, oh my God, I get it. And she said, and, and you know, she's not married, her pets are kids, and she always said, I always felt like I was hurting my pet by trying to help it. So you want to get veterinary care, you want to get their vaccinated, you want to get their teeth cleaned, you want to get the sore hair looked at. Uh, you know their nails are too long, but you're like, oh God, they just hate it so much. But if you don't feel like you're hurting your pet by trying to help it. And the other thing is people, I think, feel guilty that they feel like if you were if you had a kid that was you thought was like demonic going to the pediatrician, I'd be judged as being a bad mother or a bad parent. Like I've done something wrong. And a lot of times with people, they, their pet is so scared. It's scared enough to bite, uh, to fight for its life. Cats will bite or scratch. They just think, oh my, or barks, or it, it lunges or jumps off. And they're like, I feel so guilty that everybody else must have a really well-behaved dog. And there's just, there's nothing you can do. So much of this is things you have no idea what happened before you got it with a lot of people that adopt them. And you have to realize in that setting of being in there, it's, there's really not much worse. And but you want to see fear, anxiety, and stress and what it looks like, watch those dogs up on the table. Oh, I know. I, I hate, I actually, when I go into there, I just think, oh my God. I can't, I can't, look, I can't no, look in the windows. No, it's horrible. It's hard. It's really yeah. hard to see. Actually, Finn, the sporter collie that I've been working with for a long time now, he got to the point where he was so scared of going in for grooming that, and the, the pet guardian, this is one that hasn't been fear-free certified. So this is just traditional grooming. The groomer's like, well, we can't take treats back when the mom tried to give treats to take back for Finn. And so she goes, well, he does a lot better with me there. Can I be there? No, no, you have to stay out here. We can't have treats. Take him back. He, of course, gets in this gets to the point where he's so aggressive and is lunging and trying to, like, literally physically bite them. And they can't even get a muzzle on him or anything, um, which that happens a lot of times when we force a pet into a muzzle, forcibly, forcibly place them up on an elevated table. You aren't having any of those happy distractions. You continue forward with that scary situation. It's going to escalate. So the pet goes from that place of where they're frozen on the exam table to now they're they're at the point of fighting. They're trying to flee. Because they can't flee, we take away their option to get away. They have to go into that physical fight mode, just like you would if you were, you know, if you were cornered in a back alley by someone, you have to go into that physical fight to get to makes break me sick. free. You know, yeah. when you describe that, it absolutely makes me sick because we know like number one, a lot of those dogs could just benefit from compression garb, like a Thundershirt, mm -hmm. or nutraceuticals on the way in. And so there's different products like Zilkeen is one. We have no commercial relationship with that, so when I mentioned this product, uh, if they used pheromones in there, if they had the pets come in hungry and use food rewards, they would have so much less fear, anxiety, and stress, aggression, 
Uh, a lot of these pets leave grooming and have diarrhea for three days. It's stress-related diarrhea. There's there's things where you could, th- these tables should not be slippery. They need to cut down the places where the dryers and stuff are. It's so loud in there. Access to see other dogs coming in. They need to have like in, a, in an ER room where you separate areas with uh, curtains, you know, so they can't see these other dogs. And then the ones that need it, it would be so easy to give them a pharmaceutical. Exactly. Finn Finn was a perfect example of that. Had he have had that, he wouldn't have escalated. He got to the point after that situation, his mom, Susan, had to physically go back and get him. Like, finally, the lady's like, no, you can't do anything. He's freaking out. What do I do? And then Susan's like, let me come help you. And she's like, no, no, you can't come back. And finally, she's like, okay, you have to come back. I can't even handle him. I can't even come close to him. And poor Finn, he's just terrified, the sweetest Border Collie. Like, when I see him, he's just full body wiggles. I just saw him yesterday. He's so excited to see me yeah. like a little puppy. But when he is in that terrified fight for your life mode, you know, that's that's what happens. And she felt like, like they're like, you know, you shouldn't come back here. Don't come back yeah, here. Yeah, something wrong with yeah. you as a pet parent. Uh, every veterinarian now that embraces fear for your veterinary technician they have guilt thinking back of pets they treated in the past. Mm-hmm. That was a bad dog, a bad cat, and there was a rodeo, a judo throw, a Pilotex restraint. It was harsh treatment. And you realize that they were they had fear-based aggression. Mm-hmm. They're fighting for their very life. I can't remember how many people would come in for a nail trim. And I don't, it, you know, you just keep adding people on until it's finally restrained. You'd often take gauze. Like you'd make a bandage, you'd tie it, tie it around their muzzles so they couldn't bite. And so here's it, they go, you see the air coming out their lips and their nose. They'd urinate some, they'd defecate, they'd express their anal glands. A lot of times people would be sweating on top of them. Yeah. And it's like, okay, we just, they want it done, we got it done. You send them out and just like go on with things. But all, all a nail trim and literally that animal is acting like, like it's like a hyena or like, I guess more like a lion or, yes. or some big predator on top of them or literally like you are going to die. Like that animal is responding yeah. in a way where, you know, just... I did something one time. I don't even know if you know this. I was in uh, Cartagena, Colombia at the World Small Animal Veterinary Association meeting. And there's a friend of mine, uh, both husband and wife are veterinarians. And I knew he was really freaked out about people touching his feet. So I talked to the, I talked, you know, I would do this too. Yes. So I talked to his wife and we decided during the talk about fear free that we would get him to come up on stage and I got four really beefy guys plus me and uh, we put him in this chair and then they pinned him back against oh the chair. Oh my God, dad, so, so this they, is so not fear free. They, they had his, they had his arms <laughs> pinned back uh-huh. and they had his legs pinned down by the table. Uh, and then we got one of his things that we took his shoe off, his sock off. And then I trimmed his toenails. Oh my god! And it freaked him out. Oh my out. god, that poor guy! Like, well, I had to, I had to showcase what it was like because I always said, <laughs> just think you had ingrown toenail and four people held you down. So luckily, uh, we went out dinner that night, and uh, he's you know we remained friends. But he he's a board certified surgeon, uh, an expert in uh, in internal medicine. But he he can tell you the story sometime. It was pretty amazing trimming his toenails. He's put a pretty good fight. So, so if, if that was me, that would be me and cotton balls. I don't know where that came from. I hate cotton balls, like with a passion, freak me out, or clowns. Like, what would that be for you? Like, what is your fear? I don't know. Your mom is so funny. We we got a bat in our house again. You know, we live in, you know, our house is a log home up in the mountains. Mm-hmm. Up in Idaho. And we used to have Boris, Boris Batten off was our, uh, that's our <laughs> bat that come in and out. And now we got a new one. 
Uh, she's Batty Davis, we call her. Oh, cute. <laughs> but I remember your mom was like, I was up on this ladder, thing was swooping down, and I ducked down at this fish fishing net. She's like, oh, God, it's just a bat. And then we're in the bedroom, and the bat's all of a sudden in the bedroom, and it's flying around your hair. I don't think I just get all the girly sounds, you know, but that would be something yeah, that I'm, would I'm freak, curious, freak yeah. me out. How about Vaseline coming towards your glasses? You love to have your glasses. Oh no, like, no, that, that, that would be that be somebody's gonna break my glasses. That'd probably be <laughs> one. Yeah, I love my glasses. Today I went through the veterinary hospital and I saw a mare with a foal three days old and all these people around it. Oh, it's so good for socialization. Yeah. And if you can make it positive, yeah, right? Yeah, mm -hmm. and, and yeah. And then then we saw a uh, uh a cow that was just sitting there chewing its cud. And then we saw a bury, a banks of kennels for dogs where they were facing each other. So runs on either side. And I explained to them, if you just put a curtain here where they couldn't see each other. Because mm -hmm. there's exact, Makes a big difference. Exactly. And then... Oh, with the horse, was that too much then? Too many people? Too many people. Oh, okay. I, I was thinking of it in like a positive no, way. No, it was like, negative because there mm. was maybe... 12 people looking through the fence and the little colt was nursing. Oh, all three day olds. Yeah, that'd yeah, be a lot. Yeah. yeah. And then there was St. Bernard uh, that had had uh, urinary tract infections, uh, bladder infections. And they were getting cystocentesis, which is drawing, instead of getting a urine catch like outside where it pees, mm -hmm. you go in with the needle sterile so you get a thing. Not fun for them. No, and they had it. Well, imagine somebody sticking in your abdomen, a big long needle into your thing. No. But, That's where Bones got his name, Mr. Button. Was it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. My dog, Indiana Bones, he uh, is not well endowed. <laughs> they, they were making fun of him at the veterinary hospital. Oh. They couldn't find it. They thought, is this a female dog? And, oh. and then he got the name Mr. Button. Yeah, oh, that poor hurt. Guy. But that, he's, he's, that hurt. He's a big man. This dog, there was no, uh, it was on its back and no food rewards. Mm -hmm. And there was nothing about emotional well-being. Mm. So he was his dog. I talked to the, the his mom and dad there. Their name was Tiny, Tiny, who changes the world. That was his full name, you know. This great big dog, and they were so loved this dog. But I was just thinking it could have been so much different if they'd have had something mm -hmm. that was a fleece blanket for the dog to be on. The people were wearing pheromones. If they'd allowed the dog uh, sniff the syringe first and it had something on, you know, like baby food or something on the outside so we just got this this aroma coming off that syringe um actually i probably wouldn't even let him smell i'll take that back what well, would have been best if he never saw the syringe it was covered mm -hmm. up with a towel but somebody was using a food reward up front and what you're doing for free is probably had a surface that you wrote the pet's name in tiny's name in because there would, nothing would hurt just taking a food reward and so i had taken a picture of tiny licking his name off of this while somebody was doing the cystocentesis to get the urine mm -hmm. sample. Then when they took the dog out, they would have been, when they saw that picture, they would have gone, oh my God, can you send it to us? They would have sent it to everybody. Absolutely. Definitely. And even when, you know, in some of those procedures where they are, a lot of times they're in like a, a V trough or V tray, like where yeah. they're on their back, like even in that, a lot of times you can have them in a more comfortable position. The person might be holding them. You can get them to voluntarily go in that position have those treat distractions. We really like to use like the the ice cream cones with some whipped cream or some Well, you're the queen of ice cream whiz. cones. Yes. Oh, today, by the way, down there in wildlife, they had like 12 baby squirrels. Oh. So they had a big windstorm and it blows the squirrels out of the nest and then people take it into what them. What does a baby squirrel look like? Are they Oh my God, they're just they tiny. Like they're, these, were, these, these had hair, but they were tiny. They're maybe three inches long. 
But I ask them when they do, if they have to do a procedure, what they do, what they use. Uh-huh. And they, they have a, a milk replacer. And so they use a little baby bottle, a little Aww. tiny bottle, kind of like you see them using for orphan kittens. Yeah. So these baby squirrels make these crazy sounds when they see the bottle. So we open the cage up a little bit, <laughs> show them the baby bottle, and they're making these little chirping sounds, you know. Oh, that's like They want cute. that freaking baby bottle. But there's a perfect... Just think about it, a distraction technique for a squirrel. Yeah, that's awesome. And, uh, I love that. And so now, you know, we see it with uh, the farrier that comes out now where the horses previously, mm-hmm. it was all about jerking them and kicking them, you son of a gun. and Correcting them. Correcting them. For fear, literally for fear, which for only fear. makes it worse. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. you know this more than I do, but uh, to see them now with the coming out and, and, and forming a relationship with the horse and talking to them and scritching them in the right places, you know. Giving them predictability, like with my horse Chili, he hated, hated having his hooves touch. And so for him, I was working on the word hoof or um, pickup, and then I would be picking up his hooves, pairing treats with it. Horses, there's such a misconception that you can't use treats around horses. You can absolutely 100% use treats around horses. It's just doing it in a safe way. So, So you can teach them to take treats in a nice way, a nice polite way where they aren't mugging you. And, and horses learn the same way a killer whale would learn, that a dolphin would learn, that an orangutan would learn, and just as a person would learn, like we learn through positive reinforcement. It's one of the, the greatest ways that we can learn and have those lasting memories. And you don't forget those really positives. You, you know, Kel, you I, gotta, I gotta give you a plug. Although you're my daughter, I'm still gonna give you a plug like I would honestly. I've watched Cutie Pie, I used to hate having his uh, nails done. Mm-hmm. And we did it from the time he was tiny. Uh, but he still developed some kind of a, uh, you know, an FAS to having his nails trimmed. I can remember he was like, gosh, he was only like the size of a baby squirrel at one time we mm-hmm. first did it. Well, and, well one, can I just add one yeah. thing there? I think that's an important thing to talk about. So, like, even if you've you've had your pet, like here you're talking about, you don't know where fe- where fear, anxiety, and stress comes from for a dog at the vet, or you know, with like nail trims. Sometimes it's just literally their paws are sensitive. It's just like ticklish feet, like where that guy hates yes. having his feet touched. Yes, it's just so sensitive. Maybe they, you know, perhaps they nicked it too close one time. Uh, some dogs, so like a basset hound, for instance, their anatomy makes them more likely to be sensitive to nail trims, for instance. Right. So. Well, you know what? And he got a cheatgrass in his paw. Mm-hmm. He got a cut on his paw pad. Yep. So it may be totally unrelated to that, but there's exactly. sensitivity to that paw. But you you not only got it to where we would uh, we'd use... Um, in a veterinary hospital, we call it pre-visit pharmaceutical, but we give him a little gabapentin, a little trazodone, and he's just like... It's it, like his doggy champagne. Yeah, it's like his, he's stoned, man. Yeah. He loves it. <laughs> but then when you, when you taught him in... It was such a short amount of time to trim his own nails using a, a board where you had me glue sandpaper on it. Oh, he loves that. How, how long did it take you? Pad. That was crazy. Uh, a day, two days. And you said, like, oh, no, not the, the front wasn't that long. No, know. that's true. The front, that the front, the back. That, yeah, no, front paws, that, that was like maybe 10 minutes. It that, was 10 yeah. minutes, yeah. That back paws, that was a little more challenging, but yeah, he learned that in probably two days. Very. Yeah, and he sees it. Mm-hmm. When he ever sees it now, he's ready to get up there and, and do the, like the DJ. Yeah, like it. It's crazy how he does and then you, uh, you know, I was telling these people down there, they, they got llamas, they got pigs, they got sheep, they got oh, horses, they you got mules, they got everything, they got squirrels, they got raptors. And they're like, I don't know if we can do this. And I said, listen, zoos do cooperative care. Mm-hmm. You, you go to a zoo you, or even just go online. What is cooperative care? So cooperative care was the pet participates in its own care. 
So they go down there, the 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 rhinos, you know, I wouldn't want to get rammed by a rhino, right? The the rhinos present their feet for hoof trimming. The elephants present their trunks, which it's really weird. An elephant can pick up a taco shell. I've mm-hmm. seen it, or lift 150 pounds. Mm-hmm. The the uh, Temple Grand always calls them antelopes, you know, and she had this one species of African antelopes, really skittish, and she gave them uh, these little tiny bits of treats and trained them to go in and mm-hmm. to go through a squeeze shoot and then to be tilted on the squeeze shoot. And after two sessions, the she Allah calls them antelopes. They they leave and they go around the circle back and get right back in line at Starbucks. Again. Want to go again? I remember working with. Uh, I love orangutans. I would say orangutans and golden retrievers are my spirit animal. Uh-huh. Peanut was my my favorite orangutan when I was interning at Jungle Island. She and I like you talk about a pet that has a connection with you. Oh my gosh, like. Peanut, she would just be like calling me over to her. She'd be doing her sign language. She's just like, get over here now. And she'd get really mad if I want to come over right away. She just wanted to like just be with me. Like what a cool. So what, what was really cool with Peanut was that we actually taught her. She was diagnosed with a rare form of cancer. And it was the first time it was actually treated for orangutans. And what we were doing was working with her to be able to offer her arm for injection. So when it came to the point when she would have to be sedated, they wanted her to voluntarily be able to do all of it. So nothing against her will. And so for an orangutan who literally, they are so strong. I remember that hearing a story about one of the girls there, they said, watch your shirt when you're working with the orangutans because they like to take off your shirt. And you know, if they can swipe it, like they, just one finger, <laughs> they, they will pull that off. You know, one finger is as strong as like, like you both arms wow. grasping it. And, and that had actually happened to one girl Jenna was working with where one of the orangutans took their finger, swiped her shirt right off. She was trying to fight for it back. She was giving it to her at the time. And and then uh, then she had to run off just with the, only her bra left and and try and hide that. And but so for Peanut to be able to willingly offer her arm for injection and being able to cooperate with that process that helps to take that fear, anxiety, and stress out of the the whole picture. And for them, they would voluntarily brush their teeth and you know cooperate. And it's the same way with our dogs, our cats, our horses. Our pigs, you know, I love pigs. I'm a huge fan of of mini pigs since I've worked with them. Which you know, all animals. It doesn't take much. I've seen elephants with what with a one peanut M and M. That's all it takes. Exactly. And and, you know, I've seen you do stuff with um, teaching animals. It takes. It just takes. They just need a little, but they need a little a lot. And and Temple has taught us if we're anybody's thinking about food rewards, it can't be too novel. So you can't use Collins Street Bakery fruitcake, you know, from two years ago <laughs> and give it to them. But if you think of things for uh, what we use in a veterinary hospital, that's really high stress. Uh, deli turkey, we use salmon, we use tuna, easy cheese, cheddar and bacon, uh, slices of turkey, hot dogs, uh, Vienna sausages. Use that cheddar, the stuff in that uh, that cheese that's in the what's that? Spray cheese? No, what's the other one you got me using? It's in the oh, crop. The, oh my gosh, that one's amazing. Oh my goodness. Sergeant something. Some type of spread spreadable cheese. Just so che- hey, by the way, as we're speaking about like yeah. the best treats, I found a really good treat and I actually made this you know I am a horrible cook. I right. am domestically right. uh, challenged. Right. But the one treat for pets, if you want it, if you want your dog to go absolutely crazy. This worked really well with Finn, that border collie I was talking yeah, about, that yeah, hated yeah, going yeah, into yeah. grooming. All the dogs here absolutely loved it, went crazy over it. So you just take some beef hot dogs. I actually got mine at the dollar store. Yeah, you, yeah, could, you could be a little yeah. bit more bougie and get yeah, some higher grade yeah. um, sausages or, or yeah. hot dogs. 
but all I did was just microwave those in the, in the microwave on high for seven minutes, laid it out on a paper towel. I used that that little dog hot dog slicer, yeah. but you just slice oh, them nice. really fast. Oh, nice, nice. And so it was really fast and just seven minutes, and then I just set them out and you know put a, a paper towel on the top to wipe up any excess yeah. grease. Oh my gosh, that is like so, the so, ultimate so treat. So cooked hot dogs even better. It, yeah. And it's less gross for your hands because you know how slimy cooked, the hot dogs cooked, can get. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So got to try that because if I can do it as a, a very challenged person yeah. when it comes to the kitchen, yeah. you know, you know, someday it. we'll someday we'll do a whole thing about the best, not only the best treats, but the best way to actually deliver them. Because mm-hmm. I have taught, I have literally taught UPS and FedEx ways of giving treats has gone through the whole chain. So we'll talk about that sometime. That would be awesome. Dad, thank you so much for being a part of the show. I just always have so much fun with you. Such a blessing. And I hope to have you on the show many more times in the future. Thank you for joining us for Happy Paws. And we hope you continue tuning in every two weeks as we explore more about your pet. Next time, we'll be joined by Steve Dale, certified animal behavior consultant, host of two nationally syndicated radio shows, Steve Dale's Pet World and The Pet Minute. He's known worldwide for his expertise on pets. We'll be discussing enrichment and how we can help our pets live better lives. Make sure you're subscribed to avoid missing out on any upcoming Happy Paws episodes. And if you enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you took a minute and left us a review. For more content like this and much more, visit us at fearfreehappyhomes.com. Our music is by 310. That's the number 3, the word 1, and the word O. Follow them on Instagram at 310official and listen to them on Spotify or wherever else you find your music.